Ladies and gentlemen, this is an auspicious day. What a day! What a fabulous day! It is, in fact, a red letter day. Today marks the dawning of a new episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. Featuring Parker. If at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking till you do succeed. <laughs> and Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Two premier content creators promoting the healthiest brand integrity in the world. Tell them what they've won, Spider. The way I see it, this should be a very dynamite show. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. My name is Chris. As always, with me is Parker. No longer talk about Transformers. We have moved on to another hit movie of the summer, The Mummy. This is a movie that is a lot better than its reviews. It's been getting bad wrapped all over the internet, but really, this is the one that should kickstart a new universal monster movie franchise. This is one where you take an American and you send him over to Egypt and he goes looking for some treasure or some artifact or something like that. Then he happens to awaken a mummy. And he also gets a little bit of treasure along the way. And the mummy starts destroying the earth and the American has to find a way to stop all of it. And it's a lot better than its reviews. There's a sense of adventure, which is really important. The action's good. There's a little bit of horror elements and even a little bit of comedy just to tie everything together. It's one of those movies where I come to think of it, I'm like, I'm so glad that Brendan Fraser made this movie. One might say Brendan Fraser is a buried treasure in and of himself. Your thoughts, Chris? Absolutely. See, I watched George of the Jungle a while ago. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, news theme. Uh, there is a bit of news coming on here. No joke. Parker, I, I'm. this is breaking news because you haven't mentioned it yet. Oh, I know. I haven't mentioned it, but I read it and well, it broke my soul. Time to do it. George do Romero, rest in peace. I don't want to live in this world anymore. George Romero, his impact on zombie movies is unbelievable. He made Night of the Living Dead, which is one of my all-time favorites. He also made uh, Dawn of the Dead, which I, I didn't like as much, but I can recognize its influence. It's probably the most influential zombie movie of all time. It goes beyond zombie movies. It impacts the cultural consciousness because... When we think of horror movies, zombie movies are one of the first things that come to mind. When people think of zombie movies, they're almost certainly thinking of one of his movies. I'm not saying we should cancel The Walking Dead in reverence for him, but I'm not against it either. They should move the episodes down to half an hour. It's like flying the flag at half-mast. It hurts my soul that he did all of this like 40 years ago, and then they're making all the money off it. Well, speaking of George Romero... There were a lot of different people attached to The Mummy before it had been made. I think it was like Greenland, like, what, 1992, which shows how long it takes to make a movie. And they had a whole bunch of directors that they wanted. They wanted, at one point, Clive Barker. Uh, I can't imagine that I would have wanted to see this if he had done it. George Romero <laughs> was one that they had, and he had, like, a whole treatment, and they were just like, nah, we don't feel like it. Uh, they had Wes Craven at one point attached to it. And at one point, they had Joe Dante from The Gremlins. He wanted Daniel Day-Lewis as a brooding mummy. Oh my god. And they, that's not the only actor attached to the role. They were thinking, oh, maybe we could go with Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, oh. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. <laughs> a rumor. Leonardo DiCaprio, Chris O'Donnell, Matthew McConaughey. And they said, no. No, guys, we have to go for the prime cut of the steak. And they went for one Brendan Q. Fraser. 
I don't know if his middle initial is actually Q. Christopher O'Donnell. You want to talk about one name that does not fit that list? That's incredible. Yeah, I have to admit, I was going there solely for the fact that he was in Batman and Robin. I mean, I would watch any of those movies made by any of those directors. Oh, you better believe it. I can imagine Daniel Day-Lewis as a mummy. I'd watch a Joe Dante mummy movie tomorrow. I would absolutely do. I'd pay money to sit in the front row. So, uh, the, the movie starts, and already I have a problem, which is not... You know, not indicative of what the rest of the movie is going to be like. I, have, I actually have to like the 1999 version of The Mummy. But it starts like this. So there's this guy, Imhotep, and this girl, Aung San Moon. And they're in love. They can't do anything about it because she's Pharaoh's daughter. They decide to make out anyway. Pharaoh catches them. And right now, crisis of conscience. Pause the movie. And you're watching. You're like, what would you do in the situation? Would you A, deny everything? Or B, kill the Pharaoh of Egypt? Mm-hmm. Chosen by you the gods. You gotta straight mark him. Yeah. Up. It's, honestly, I gotta think that there would be a better way to handle this one. And, uh, so they kill him, and they're like, oh, well, I guess we could have thought that one out better. And his priests come there, and they're like, what'd you do that for? And then, uh, the Moon decides that she will kill herself. This is the daughter of the pharaoh, probably next in line to the throne or something, chosen by the gods, etc. Again, kind of feel like there could have been a plan B here. But Chris true love transcends life and death right so he escapes Imhotep uh, very bravely runs away while his girlfriend kills herself and I guess somehow gets her body too I don't know how he pulled that one up and he runs away and it's like okay don't worry ancient Egyptian magic I'll bring her back and doesn't go according to plan he gets captured and when I was a little kid this scared the absolute hell out of me First, they cut out his tongue, which apparently they actually did back in ancient Egypt. I kind of think there's an easier way to get a laugh. Then they pour scarabs on top of him. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to say this to nine-year-old Chris to sort of gird his loins and make sure he's ready for this movie. Scarabs, in real life, are poop beetles. They just roll up poop, <laughs> and they make little boulders of poop, and they're like, ah, it's all mine now. In this movie, they turn him into these carnivorous bugs that eat and never seem to gain any weight or anything. They, it's it's really very odd when you take any sort of time to think about it. And in fact, he's covered in these bugs, right? And they come back uh, in the movie because it's like, what, 3,000 years later. The bugs are still there and still alive and still kicking in the in the Egypt uh, with, with really no food source. And... I didn't care when I was nine years old. I straight up thought it was like the scariest thing I had ever seen in a movie. Oh yeah, I'm not looking for logic. When you have resurrection and a world where all the Egyptian gods are real and all this magic is real, that's the last thing on my mind. On the flip side of this, there's something that I really like about this movie, and that's its sense of character. It does character better than almost every other adventure movie out there, and that's something that's really important for an adventure movie. There's so many of these focus on plot, but if you give them really great characters, that's what we're going to want to follow. It's like with Indiana Jones, we care about the characters. With Lord of the Rings, we care about the characters. And this one, it's the secondary characters that I really love. Like, obviously... You gotta love Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser in this movie is just... Mm. I just did, like, the Italian kiss my fingers and, like, <laughs> Mwah, there's my basil. And it's like, man, I, I could watch him in this movie all the time. I bet if they made a sequel to this, it would be great. But, you know, uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Don't but, do that yet. I'm still riding high. But, like, my the secondary characters that I really love, I love... 
like the librarian. That dude had such a minor role. He had like five lines in the movie. I love that guy. He's so much fun. I love Jonathan. He's oh man, he's so funny in this. He's he's like a thief and he's a coward, but he's also really just really damn funny. He's just fun to watch the entire time. He usually gets some of the best lines, some of the lines that they could have given to someone else. When he says it, they're just so much funnier. You gotta love Benny. Oh my god. I love Benny so much. There's also uh, Winston. Remember Winston, the guy in the plane, that big fat British guy with a mustache? I love that guy. Who dies for no reason. Yeah, I have to admit that uh, looking back on it, when I was nine years old uh, and like he's he's going down into the sand and he dies. Oh, spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't seen this movie from 1999. I, I remember thinking, oh, that's so sad, but at least he died for his country. I have to admit, he died for nothing. They they told him, yeah, we're going to kill the bad guy, get the girl, save the world. None of that happens as a result of Winston. It's just some time to use a plane. Which I didn't mind so much, I just liked that guy. They gave him a salute. You better believe I stood up and saluted as I watched this on my shitty laptop. <laughs> now, I mean, speaking of Benny, I think my favorite scene in the movie is when Benny is cornered by the mummy and he has a different necklace on for every religious sect he could think of. He's trying all of them. <laughs> it's just it's anything he can do to just sort of like get his way out of a bad situation. It's speaking Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> I like how his voice raises in pitch for each religion. <laughs> so good. At first I couldn't tell if it was insulting, but then I was just like, oh no, he's just more scared. And, man, every single line that he has is solid gold. It's, he doesn't really have, like, a bad line in the movie. Everything that he says and does is pretty funny, which makes sense. I mean, you can tell why the director decided to bring him back when he decided to make Van Helsing. We can talk about Steven Summers later, but you want to talk about having one good movie and nothing but garbage? Uh, before I get on to the sequels, I the, the one thing I really want to mention here is that I also love the writing. It's not just Benny's lines. There are a lot of really good lines. Uh, Brendan Fraser has most of them. and That's a good sign, because it's not just having like your lead have the best lines. you got to have a really believable guy in that role. Can you imagine Matt Damon in this movie? It's like, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I go see that movie tomorrow. I'd probably see most of those just to be like, wow, can you believe it? But Brad Pitt could not have made this movie good. There, there's no way. Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie? Not a chance. I don't want this movie with super serious Jason Bourne. That's not, that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. That's one of the reasons that Brendan Fraser is so good in this is that he doesn't really take himself too seriously. One of the ones that I really liked is, uh, I think this might be my dad's favorite line in the movie, uh, is he's about to be hanged and he kisses Rachel Weisz. Wise? How do you say that name? Wise. Wise. Kisses Rachel Wise through the bars and she asks him later, oh, by the way, why did you kiss me? And he's like, well, I was about to be hanged. It seemed like a good idea at the time. That's a great line. I love that. And they're on the boat. And they're getting attacked by the Magi. And there's that little smelly guy. He's like, what do we do? And he's like, wait here. I'll go get help. And just jumps overboard. That guy waits on board for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, that little smelly guy is another one of my favorite characters in the movie. Because uh, he's like talking about, uh, it was like, oh, why was, why was he uh, put in prison? And he was like, According to him, he was just looking for a good time. And he comes back later, and he's like, yeah, he's going to get hanged. I was like, why is he going to get hanged? Apparently he had a very good time. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> Every time I watch this movie, I think about the scene near the end where he like he's fighting off a bunch of mummies, and he looks at her and she goes, huh, mummies. It kills me every <laughs> single time. 
<laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, by the way, that scene where he's fighting off a bunch of mummies, my favorite thing about it is it harkens back to the way they made my favorite movie of all time, Army of Darkness. It was highly choreographed. Every single mummy he's fighting in that movie is invisible. They, those are all make-believe mummies. It's like, oh yeah, of course, Chris, it's a movie. They can do stuff like that. <laughs> no, like what they did was he's fighting nothing it's just air he punches out every single move he makes is thought out and like okay foot position here punch here knock the guy who's bobbling his head with his sword like a baseball bat here every single thing there is scripted so that they could you know work out perfectly movies today i don't think they would do that they would just like okay do something else now we'll just fix it in post and he, he decided that he would make it a little bit easier for the uh, CGI people, which is good because a lot of the effects in the movie are practical, which I like. There's a scene towards the beginning, like the library, where she knocks over those bookcases that had to be done in one take. Those are all real bookcases with real books, and it worked out perfectly. Yeah, I wasn't expecting a Buster Keaton gag in my silly Indiana Jones mummy movie, but I'll take it. That's a pretty nice reference to a 1920s film star. You've been watching yeah, some movies. Cut that out. Cut that out. Okay, so like when they're haggling over percentages with a smelly guy, man, everything just seems to come back to that smelly guy who probably had a name, but it's like, oh, what about our little, our little smelly fellow or whatever? And it's like, again, the the little stuff where he's like getting the scarabs out of the wall with his knife, and he goes, ah, blue gold. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why that's funny, but it's just hysterical to me. Uh, again, when I was a kid, that was seriously the scariest thing. Those scarabs, it's crawled up his body, it's eating his brain, and he runs into a wall and kills himself. Ugh. Yeah, when you could see it through his face, even today, with the bad effects. Teeth started clenching, kind of tightened up, like, uh-uh. Yeah, started, like, kind of backing away from the laptop, being like, I do, I kind of got to go to work, you know. I had already gotten <laughs> home from work, but, you know, I was thinking, ah, well, you know, groceries and stuff like that. Ugh. That's that. I, seriously, every single time I watched that when I was a kid, I was like, blanket over the head. I, uh, you know, let let me know when it's over. Now I say when I was a kid, and I say every time because I watched this a lot when I was a kid, and I didn't have it on DVD or VHS. I had this and the second one on TV all the time though because it was constantly played, which is a big deal. This was a big movie when the first one came out. The day after it was released. Universal called up uh, Steven Summers and they're like, yeah, we need another one. That's how big it was. No one was expecting it to be this big. And, it was, you know, so it was a big surprise hit. And then they made The Mummy Returns. Parker, your thoughts? It fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, I, I Unfortunately, I did not subject myself to it uh, this week. I, I didn't yeah. get a chance. Imagine my surprise. <laughs> I, I will say I have two distinct memories of it. Um, that little kid, they have a, a, a young child, uh, Rachel Wise and Brendan Fraser, and the kid has a British accent for some reason. Man, really should have given him an American accent. I'm not sure it would have helped, but would have made me a little bit less annoyed. I mean, it's the exact same movie. Almost every single character's back. It's the same plot, but The Rock's also there as a CGI monster which is weird because the rock said that it was like the least pleasant movie he's ever made he's in the movie for like three seconds. i agree it, well no no like to make it's just like how how hard could it have been yeah would you just green screen him in or something apparently it was like hard as hell to like film that effect and no one was having fun yeah i could tell it didn't look like anyone was having fun 
Well, what, I sure wasn't. What about Jonathan? Doesn't he have like way more lines and is way less subtle? Not that he was particularly subtle in the first movie. Yeah, it's the first movie, but without any of the charm. Well, there was a lot of charm for the first movie. It's one of these things that you and I were talking about some time ago. Where have all the great adventure movies gone? Because The Mummy is more than a horror movie, more than a comedy, more than an action movie. It's an adventure movie. And there are not a whole lot of these movies anymore. I mean, if you think about the great adventure movies, obviously Indiana Jones comes to mind. Obviously Lord of the Rings comes to mind. What else qualifies as an adventure movie? It's not It's not something that's easy for me to, to look at. I, I can't just say, oh, here's a checklist of what makes up an adventure movie and tick all the boxes. I don't know what makes an adventure movie as far as a definition goes, but it's the same thing with art. I think I know it if I see it. The Mummy is definitely an adventure movie, and it works very well in that regard. I don't know what happened to you know movies these days to get away from that formula but i wish they would come back because i i like movies like the mummy they're a lot of fun i mean it's pretty much the mummy and pirates of the caribbean right no that's, that's pretty much it yeah that's that's a good point but you know there there are other ways to do it what you could do is you could make another sequel this one with jet lee dude i have nothing to say about that movie first of all i had to write the title down because i kept getting it wrong what, apparently what it's it? called tomb of the dragon emperor what? I you know I think I knew that, but it's like I must have forgotten what I looked up the Wikipedia for because man, Tomb of the Dragon War, you know that they're gonna have to include Jet Li. So the first question I had when watching this is, who in two thousand eight was asking for the third Mummy movie? That's a good question. Where is Rachel Weiss and who is this lady pretending to be her? And why is his son an adult? And why do I have to watch all three of them? It's most it's important. Rough, man. Is Brendan Fraser in it? He is, but you can tell he does not want to be there, and he has zero chemistry with any of the other actors. Oh, that's such a damn shame. Cause like, Chris, I want to I want to tell you something that happens in the movie to summarize my feelings on it. Okay, let's go. So there's a big dumb action scene because that's what the movie is. It's a shitty action scene, cut to shitty action scene over and over. Or they're in trouble. They're losing to these uh, Chinese officers, right? Right. So this woman calls for help from some yetis. What? <laughs> and they come down and fight the officers. And then at one point, a yeti kicks one, and it goes through what looks like goalposts, and another yeti signals field goal is good. Are you fucking kidding me? This is 2008? I couldn't make that up. <laughs> I could not make this up. Oh, man. What's incredible is, well, the running theme in these movies is that the CGI is always garbage. And it looks like, it's like, ah, oh, this is better. And then you look and go... Oh, this is the same year Iron Man came out. Oh, yeah. That would kind of ruin things, wouldn't it? That's the same year of what? That was what? You said 2008? Sure was. Yeah, it's the same year as like... Is, wait, isn't that like a year after Avatar? Got Hellboy 2 that year. Oh, it's a year Iron before Man, Avatar. Got that Whatever. Hulk movie. It's like one year later they released Avatar. It's like... I think my one, one sentence review is just industrial light and tragic. That's <laughs> what it is. It looks like shit. Jet Li's like some clay CGI abomination the whole time. And then the final battle is two CGI armies fighting each other, and Brendan Fraser somehow beating Jet Li in hand to hand. Whatever movie, what? uh, not okay. in this fucking lifetime. Listen, I love Brendan Fraser unconditionally. I will watch almost anything with him in it. That is going way too far. You, you can't have Brendan Fraser beating Jet Li hand to hand. That's not how 
anything works. That's no, you, you can't make a movie like that. That's who directed it. it couldn't be Steven Summers, right? Oh, it's not Steven Summers, but it's the man who brought you Triple X and The Fast and the Furious. Oh, no wonder you watched it. No, I watched you, it because you fucking made me, Chris. You no, know, you you probably walked in there with a song in your heart and a smile on your face. Chris, I have a question for you. Let's go. You agreed if I watched that, I wouldn't have to watch The Scorpion King. Did you sit through The Scorpion King? You motherfucker. Yeah, okay. Well, here's the thing. Um, you motherfucker. Listen, the thing about The Scorpion King is... You said that, you know, we wouldn't have time to discuss all of them. And you're damn right. I did not sit through those sequels. But uh, I love watching The Rocks. So I was just like, hey, you know, let's give him his own movie. Because was The Mummy Returns his first movie? I think it had to be. I think it was. I think it was like a big deal. Because he was like a really big deal in the WWE. And uh, so they were like, yeah, he was so well loved in The Mummy Sorry. Returns. All three seconds of him. Let's give him his own movie with Michael Clark Duncan. And uh, I remember the thing at the time, he said he wasn't going to use, like, uh, any of his wrestling moves because he wanted to keep, like, his uh, movie life separate from his professional life. I was like, man, he's got two different careers and they both revolve around acting. And... How dare you? Yep. (laughs) First of all, yeah, I was like, okay, the Scorpion King does not hold up anywhere near as well as I thought it did. I, I really liked that movie back when I was 12. It's not excellent anymore, uh, I have to admit. Uh, I still like the lead actress. She's really hot. I mean, uh, charismatic. Uh, his little assistant reminds me of the uh, little assistant from the second Conan movie. That's not really oh a compliment. God. Wow. Um, Michael Clark Duncan's in the movie, and I, I have to admit, I like watching Michael Clark Duncan in just about anything. He's got a great voice. He's so great. Apparently, like, there was a rumor on set that I think it was one of those things where it's like, they try to get this rumor on set to the general public so it'll, like, draw interest in the movie, that apparently Michael Clark Duncan and The Rock hated each other. Apparently it wasn't true at all. Like, they were just, like, pranking each other throughout the whole movie. How could anyone hate either of them? That's a that's a totally fair question. It's like, who would win in a fight? And it's like, I have to admit, watching them... I, obviously, I'd have to go with The Rock just based on experience. But if you want to look at who's more physically imposing, it's definitely Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah, I just looked. The Mummy Returns is 2001. That was peak, like, WWF making a gorillion dollars week after week after week. Right. So oh, I'm not man. sure why he would leave that to go be a giant CGI scorpion. But I guess he strike while the money's hot, because you cannot be bigger than The Rock or Steve Austin in 2001. Well, you know, it paid out in his favor. Now The Rock is one of the biggest movie stars in the world and probably the most likable actor in Hollywood. Do you want to talk about a bubble that's about to burst? That Jumanji trailer. Holy shit. Uh, okay, well, yeah, that's... Yeah. I, I have it's, to admit... Uh, it's I getting am... rough. You can say no at one point, Dwayne. You can say no to things. Yeah. He... Well, do you follow him on Facebook? Because I do. Uh, he... Seems oh, you do love talking about clanging and banging at 5 a.m., my dude? Yeah, well, first of all, I like that. Uh, but <laughs> he seems excited as hell about this Jumanji movie and doing push-ups with random people from the military. Uh, I have to admit, I've never seen the original Jumanji. I'd have to think it's better than this. Yeah, file that under movies I watched as an adult and went, Oh, I wish I just left that memory from my childhood. Oh, Oops. well... It's, Which is what I was really scared this episode was going to be. I was terrified I was going to hate The Mummy. 
I'm so happy. I still love it. I thought so too. There, there was a point during my childhood where I did hate the mummy. Just not, not just because you. of the scarab, but also oversaturation. It was on all the time, and I was like, "Oh, this stinking movie again." Well, I watch something else. Why are we watching this again? But I, I, I'm not sure what else about it. I, I dislike. It was. I, I think it really what it was it was just the scarabs. I was like. Oh, uh, these stupid scares don't even exist in real life. They're really just poop beetles. I'm not hiding under the blanket, Mom. But looking back on it now, that's a really important part of the movie. Having a little bit of horror in the movie. Because I think a lot of these movies, they're supposed to have something that's supposed to be scary. Look at, honestly, this is the example you got to draw. Van Helsing. Van Helsing <laughs> has all these horror elements, but it's never scary. It never really moves you in any sort of way. It's like, look, you got all these vampires. You got Victor Frankenstein. I'm never scared. And a werewolf. I'm never scared. The whole time, I'm just like, man, I was watching something else. It, and the thing is, I, I, like, I like Van Helsing more than most people do, which is probably more than everyone in the world does. And I don't even like it that much. But it's, it's missing something. It's missing that little horror twinge. Stephen Summers, when he was a little kid, he saw the original 1932, The Mummy. Me too, Stephen. Solidarity. And he said it was the only movie that scared him. And he wanted to make a movie that had the same sort of impact that that movie had on him. And The Mummy, the 1999 version, is so much better than the 1932 version. And not just because, oh, the horror elements are better, because let me tell you, you want to see a guy in bandages just wander around annoying people? All you need to do is look at Tony Romo. Meanwhile... God the fucking damn it! <laughs> no. <laughs> you also have the comedy, and the adventure, and the action, the great writing, and the unforgettable characters. It's, it's 2017 when we're recording this. This movie came out in 1999. I remember... When I saw it in 1999, I didn't need to watch this movie to just remember all the characters. I love the characters of this movie. That is a hallmark of a great movie. If I can still remember these characters. All right. Well, first thing, hot take. Tell me if you agree. The Mummy's the worst of the original monsters. Oh yeah, that's that has to be true. Yeah, movie's boring as sin. Yeah. And also, I'm glad you brought up the horror because I remember the scarabs being terrifying. I didn't remember like there was more horror elements because I'm watching this at, like what three a.m. I think. Right. That fucking jump scare with her brother. Oh my Christ! <laughs> Did you not oh remember my... it was him? No, I didn't remember that scene. It's like why is it so quiet? This is played like a sweet fucking Christ. <laughs> I screamed so loud. I have to admit, I remembered that was coming. I've seen this movie like 27 times, and I remembered that scene in particular. Uh, I Mostly because I remember uh, two things about it. He calls his sister Old Mum, and uh, my sister decided that she would call my mom Old Mum and wonder why my mom didn't like that. And uh, the other thing is, like, uh, what was it? Jonathan said something like, uh, how does this scene go? I'm going to have to make sure to edit all this um, uh, stuff. Evie asks him, oh, you spend so much of your time around the dead. And he's like, oh, well, sometimes I wish I could join them. And I was like, man, honestly, it's that's kind of a good line, too. It's, I'm having such a good time. What I did not remember was the opening battle between, 
I guess, the Egyptians and Brendan Fraser's friends. I uh, didn't really know the two yeah, sides whatever. of that. But, uh, yeah, that was like, that's where you know uh, the past with Betty. For the longest time, uh, I forgot that scene happened entirely. It's like, oh, why does he recognize Betty? I was like, oh, it's in Medias Res. You just have to take for granted that they know each other. Because even if that scene wasn't in the movie then you still would be able to get it. Because that version wasn't cut out on TV, but I think I always came into the movie like late. I was like, oh yeah, they were fighting each other or something. Uh, although that does have a good Betty line. It's just like their commander runs away and he looks at Brad Fraser and he's like, you just got promoted. I was like, man, it must have been really hard for him to act like the whole movie. He's talking like <laughs> this. The camels don't like me. <laughs> he sounds like Rolf from Ed, Ed and Eddie. <laughs> He doesn't sound that macho. <laughs> but speaking of things I didn't remember, that weird Plagues of Egypt subplot that goes nowhere. Oh, I remember that really well, mostly because I'm Catholic, so I have to know stuff from the Bible. Oh. But uh, I also remember, yeah, you're right, that doesn't really go, uh, well, it doesn't go very far. Uh, I remember as soon as they spat out their alcohol, I was like, oh yeah, it ran red with blood. But the, the funniest one for me is, I, I said this even when I was nine years old, is uh, there's an eclipse, and uh, they, they quote it, and it sounds really massive. It's like, and then he moved his hand in front of the sun, and it was as black as night. And it just cut up to two guards looking at the eclipse of the sun. They're just looking at it like, oh, what do we do now? And I, I remember sitting in the theater, I was like, so what's night? What's the big deal? <laughs> the thing is, in a worse movie, that's the entire second act. Oh, yeah. We're just painstakingly going through every single one in a row, waiting to get somewhere. I'm surprised that wasn't the sequel, to be honest with you. Oh, that actually would have been a really good idea. Meanwhile, when they first opened up the tomb, or not when they first opened up the tomb, they had a, what it, what it was the first plague was locusts, right? So you have all these locusts flying all over the place, and at first, I was scared. At first, I was just like, oh man, what the hell? I already had these other killer bugs. What are these ones going to do? I was like, dad, what, what the fuck are locusts? What's going on here? And he's like, oh, they're, they're grasshoppers, basically. And I was like, what do they do? Do they, they like eat your eyeballs, or do they like crawl into your ear? He's like, no, they eat your crops. And I was like, Really? That's what's the big deal? You just get a fly swatter or something like that. I was like, well, back in biblical times, eating our crops was enough to like doom humanity. So I was like, oh well, you know, it's the 1920s when this movie takes place or something like that. I honestly have no idea. Does it ever tell you in any of these movies? I don't know if it tells happening? you explicitly, but it very clearly doesn't take place in modern day because they drive a, an well, old shitty car, they use old shitty guns. It's <laughs> I like growing up in a military family where. Uh, my dad wasn't in the military, but my brother was, and my grandfather was. You can tell uh, the time of a movie just looking at the guns that they use. You look at all his guns, and you're like, oh, this must be from like just after World War One and just before World War II. That's so what can we agree like. that even though most of CGI is bad, that the mummy looks pretty great? Yeah, the mummy looks really great. That's it, This is really important. You look at a movie like, uh, what, what did I see recently? Uh, I, I Okay, I was watching uh, an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and it was the hit movie Mitchell uh, with, <laughs> with Joe Don Baker, which, by the way, after my fifth time, I finally understand why people love this episode so much. It's just so much fun. So good. You look at the movie and the way that it's filmed, this movie looks like garbage. I don't know why, but it's something with like the camera. It's like, oh, it came out in the 70s. What do you expect? I expect better than this. It just is really tough to look at, whereas The Mummy looks really, really good. It's a lot of fun to look at. It looks better than 
a whole lot of other movies that are coming out in 1999. This is what helps having a really good cinematographer. It's someone who shoots the scenes really well. The mummy itself, the you know the actual you know guy shambling around and bandages, he looks really good. I also I'm really happy that they never actually did that. The guy they got to play the mummy. Where, let me get my notes here. Uh, notes say uh, Arnold Vosloo. Uh, so they got that dragon from the Wind Waker, and they oh, decided to, <laughs> and they decided to uh, dress him up. And he was like, "No, no, no, hold up! I'm not going to be that guy in like bandages who goes Ugh, just just walking after people." Because you have to admit that doesn't scare anyone. It's not even remotely scary. So that's not going to work. This has to be like a modern day Romeo and Juliet from his perspective. And that works. That works really well. So I mean, getting people's like. Uh, getting people's organs through magic or whatever, that was scary, but it was also, like, kind of exciting. It's one of the stuff where it's like, oh, I don't have to hide under the blankets, but I'm still, like, creeped out by it. Dude, the scene where that one Kurt Russell knockoff American guy gets floated up in the air and you see his silhouette just dissolve like that? Nah, oh. son. Oh. <laughs> nah, son. Oh, nah. yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that, was, that was tricky. Uh, there were a couple, uh, I don't know, if, I don't know what, what to call them. I guess, like, plot holes or something like that. That one Egyptian scholar, the guy with the red hat, um, I don't really know what kind of hat that is, uh, he's he's sitting in Egypt when they release the mummy, and he's covered in locusts, he's like, uh, my god, what have we done? And then he's just back in uh, Egypt with the rest of them, and they have to go look for him. It was like, how, how did he get back there? He looked like he had just given up all hope. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the mummy needs a bunch of organs, right? He needs, like, tongue, eyes, other other like organs. I'm not a biologist here. And he steals the tongue and the eyes from the guy who needs glasses. Who, when he loses his glasses, fucking Velma wandering around the tube, which is a straight line. So the, the mummy should really just be like half blind. That's like you knew I wrote word for word in my notes. Why did he steal Velma's eyes of all people? Exactly. I mean, immediately thinking... My glasses! <laughs> and they get stepped on and he gives that look like, Oh, oh no! no. So, I have to admit, there's this there's a scene that occurs immediately after that, that I, I think I had, like, the same reaction when I was nine years old, is, it's like, oh, he stepped on his glasses, so now his glasses are broken, and he can't put them on because he's a pussy or something, and the next shot is a shot down that hall, and it's really blurry, I'm like, oh, man, he must be, it must be really tough for him to see without his glasses, and then his hand comes into the frame, and you can see it perfectly, you're like, oh, that's just the camera. So, <laughs> this, yeah, he still like recognizes him and screams like, "How the wait?" Yeah, I thought you, you just told blind. me this dude was blind and couldn't walk in a straight line. He's that guy. You know that guy's first line in the movie is uh, is like, "Well, if I didn't have my glasses on, I couldn't see the cards I was dealing." Oh Jesus! It's like oh, I wonder if this is gonna come it's back. Poetic. <laughs> oh, uh, another inconsistency here. One of the things that kind of even when I was nine years old, I think what I looked for is. Uh, plot inconsistencies or something like that when something was really scaring me i was like this could never happen i don't have to have nightmares over this it never really helped but you know it's a little psychological thing uh they're talking about the scarabs and evie's talking about and then they would eat your body and they would do it very slowly and as a little nine-year-old i'm like shriveled up into a ball and then they run over that one guy that nameless faceless character they eat him in like less than five seconds i was like oh well that didn't really seem so bad. I mean, he's dead. It probably wasn't a whole lot of fun, but that wasn't very slowly. They were just like, yep, one and done. We're good. Hey, man, it's been 3,000 years. They hungry. I was like, 
Well, there's a lot more left behind. I'm sure there are some more salubrious juices in there. Boy, I forgot, this being a PG-13 movie, how many times we see what's left of them after the scarab runs through them. Yeah. God damn. Okay, about that. Uh, Meaty the th- carcasses. Yeah, well, one of the things that they had to do uh, for the PG-13 was they had to really cut down on the gore. They were given like, a note from the studio, no gore. That's really tough for horror elements, so you have to find a way to work around them. And what the special effects team did is they tried to find a creative way to scare people. This is one of the things where Joe Dante directing it, he would have been really good at it because he's really good at finding an alternate way to scare people without blood and gore. Think about, for example, when Imhotep gets stabbed at the end when he's mortal and you never actually see him bleed. It's like the shittiest effect from like like Super 8 movies in your backyard. They stab him, it's off camera, then it cuts to him, and he's holding both hands over where the wound would be. You never see an exit wound, you never see an entrance wound, and you don't see any blood. He just immediately falls into the pool. They they don't need to show blood. They obviously couldn't show blood there. But instead you get way scarier scenes like like the scarabs, for instance, uh, the after effects of like the organ stealing, stuff like that, the, the sores on the people... That is, to me, so much scarier because you don't often see stuff like that. And that's one of the things I liked. That last scene with Benny, where the lights go out, has haunted me for the last 20 years. Yeah, I'm very happy that the lights went out. (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, Speaking of scenes that actually terrify the cast and crew, uh, that scene with Rachel Wise where she's lying on the bed next to uh, the dead girl mummy, where there's a rat on her, that was a real rat. Oh, thanks, Steven. Oh, yeah. Thank you for making this movie. CGI'd everything else. <laughs> well, uh, some of them were, were willing to do their own stunts. That's what happened in the second movie. They do their own stunts, which I have to admit, I probably wouldn't have done that. There are a lot of high-flying stunts in both of these movies. I would have been like, mm, I'm going to have to get a stuntman in there for that. There's a lot of torches in that second movie just kind of strewn about. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. A lot of dynamite in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. I've been like, man, I am not Kurt Russell. I'm not going to do oh. this. Speaking of things I've never forgotten, I just remember the very end of the second one where Brendan Fraser kills the Scorpion King and Imhotep comes running off screen, drops to one knee and goes, No! <laughs> I forgot about I've that. I've never forgotten that scene as long as I've looked. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> hey, remember, remember the that. second one where it turns out that Rachel Weiss is a reincarnated version of the Pharaoh? Oh yeah, let's talk about whatever. that because I, I Jesus was, <laughs> God, what an I, awful movie. Because I was watching the first movie, which you know I'd seen like a million times when I was a kid, and it gets to that scene where she's on the table next to uh, Aksuna Moon, and uh, I immediately I had to stop the movie. I was like, oh God, I just remember they made a sequel, which is technically canon now. And that means that that was once her sister or something like that, or whatever. They were both alive at the same time in a previous life. I was like, boy, you sure know how to ruin a good movie. Yeah, my favorite part of any movie is when we go, no, actually, everyone's connected and it's destiny. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Isn't it so much more fun where it's just like, yeah, we just had this random American come in. They get to like... What, Scorpion King 6 or something like that, and Brendan Fraser was actually the Pharaoh? <laughs> I mean, it's my biggest problem with Star Wars. It's the entire universe spanning galaxies and galaxies, but everyone knows each other. This is what happens. Why wouldn't Chewbacca and Yoda know each other? What? Oh, this is what happens when you get these smelly sci-fi nerds who just, they take it way too seriously. I have a name. Oops. <laughs> oh, boy. These, oh, 
getting back to the Scorpion King, uh, oh, they have sorry. they have like five of the Scorpion Kings. They've all been like released either like straight to video. I think one of them was a Netflix original, which is uh, it shows how Netflix has grown in this time. It had like Lou <laughs> Ferrigno in it. You mean you don't want to watch the Scorpion King two starring Randy Couture, <laughs> star of the Expendables and the UFC? I did have fun as a kid watching Scorpion King. I don't suppose it holds up now, but yeah, you couldn't pay me to watch those sequels. No, absolutely not. Because I don't pay you. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's why I couldn't force you to. <laughs> I was wondering, could you start paying me? <laughs> Alright, so, uh, final thoughts on The Mummy? If, if you have to take home one thing from The Mummy, what do you take home? That when people go, oh, this is a fun summer popcorn movie, this is actually what they mean, because it shows everything, it doesn't just tell you. Exactly. This is, this is the definition of a fun summer movie. There are a lot of other ones that are really good, but to me, when I think about probably my first fun summer movie, this was it. And this set a really high standard for me because it's not just the plot, it's not just the characters. The lines are good and they're memorable and, you know, spanning different genres, I really like. I want to take a moment now to shill. I, this is a very, very serious moment for me. I read what I seriously very, very strongly believe is the single greatest book about film ever written and, in fact, my favorite book of all time now. It's called a Kim Jong-il production. The story here is 100% true. I can back it up with there are over 325 cited sources in this book to back up these claims, which are disputed in some parts of North Korea, I'm sure. But this actually happened. Cast your mind back. It's the 1970s, North Korea, not a fun place to live, much as it is today. And Kim Jong-il is second in command. He's like, why don't people love our beautiful, perfect country where there's no famine or suffering or hardship at all? It must be because our movies suck. So he decides, oh, I'll kidnap the most famous actress from South Korea, bring her to North Korea, she'll make movies for me, people will love North Korea. He does it. Then he's like, oh shit, I need a director. So he decides to go to South Korea again, kidnaps the most famous South Korean director in history, brings him up to North Korea. And he tells the actress, hey, I'd really like you to make some movies for me. And she's like, mm, I'd kind of really like to be in South Korea. And he's like, mm, uh, sorry, you can't. Then he goes up to the director and he's like, hey, I'd really like you to make movies for me. And the director's like, mm, I'd really like to be back in South Korea. He's like, mm, no, sorry. And he sends the director to a prison camp. What I've been saying so far is tinged with a little bit of humor. There is nothing funny that I can say about the prison camps that were run in North Korea and are still being run today. There is evil in the world. It is alive and well in North Korea. It is one of the worst places on earth. I don't know what we can do about it. I don't know if there is anything we can do about it, but it is horrendous what is going on up there. These are torture camps. And after a few months, the director submitted. He's like, fine, fine, I'll make your damn movies. And Kim Jong-il's like, oh, Wonderful. That's exactly what I was hoping for. It brings the actress and the director together to like one of his famous dinner parties where everyone's drunk and there are teenage girls running around. And he's like, look, got these two people from South Korea. They're going to make movies for me. It's going to be great. They see each other and they meet for the first time. Oh, wait, I left out a pertinent detail. 
the director and the actress used to be married to each other. They fall back in love in North Korea, make the best North Korean movies of all time. That doesn't say much. North Korean movies sucked up until then, and the movies they made weren't particularly great. Then they made Pulgasari, which at some point I'm going to make you watch. It is the worst Godzilla ripoff of all time, saying something. In it, Godzilla is basically a communist, and it brings socialism to the workers of the country, or some, some bullshit like that. And at some point, the director and the, the, the wife have been secretly recording Kim Jong-il's conversations, and they've been planning escape attempts. They go to Vienna for some sort of film festival. They're able to escape in a taxi. There's a car chase, a really dramatic car chase. They go to the U.S. Embassy. They're like, hey, we're from South Korea. got abducted by North Korea. And the North Koreans, uh, you know, they're chasing us. And Americans are like, we'll handle this, guys. And they save the South Koreans. And they bring him to Reston, Virginia, home of Christopher Field. And, you know, things continue after that. Uh, <laughs> the director went on to make the sequels to three ninjas so uh didn't exactly live up to his original pedigree but uh this is the most incredible book i've ever read it is horrifying it is farcical it is just the most incredible true story i have ever read it's one of those things where it, you can tell it's invigorated a, a bit of anti-north korean sentiment in me maybe a bit of anti-communist spirit in me but, man, you have got to read this book. There is, you know, Bill Clinton, in, in lieu of giving gifts to people, would just give people leaves of grass by Walt Whitman, which, I have to admit, not the greatest gift in the world. I kind of just want to get everyone a copy of this book. It is so incredible. I recommend it to everyone. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to try to make me watch some sort of awful, shitty movie for our next episode. I'm not going to let you do that. Next week, we're watching Planet of the Apes, right? Well, Chris, in 2001, America's most famous actor and most famous director were brought together. And that's when Tim Burton took a little guy named Mark Wahlberg to a planet of apes. Now I'm the king of the swingers ball, jungle VIP. Well, I reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me.